Welcome to the podcast of Merc the Meek. Hello and welcome to another call-in episode. We've got several calls, but first we are going to jump into a game. Robinson Crusoe is a board game. It's cooperative. It's about survival, kind of like the novel. And there's a lot of worker placement. You're basically survivors on a deserted island. You take on a, a character. So you could be like a cook, a soldier, an explorer... Those are three examples that are immediately coming to mind. And each of those characters have different abilities. And they're, they're almost powered by your morale a little bit. Uh, and you have a particular scenario to run through. And there's a lot of them. I've only really done the first one. Each time I've played, I have been either a new player, or it's been so long that I'm now a new player again, or I've introduced it to somebody else. So we've already started with that basic scenario. Your job is to get enough firewood to construct a signal fire after a certain amount of turns so that the ship that would be coming by could see the signal fire and pick you up. The tricky thing is you also just have to survive Usually the weather starts out fine, and there's these little weather dice that you roll to see what happens overnight. If you don't have enough shelter and the weather's bad, then you start losing health. So you've got to manage your, your health, you've got to manage your warmth, you've got to manage your food, you've got to manage your threat from wildlife. So there's all these little quote-unquote knobs to turn to make sure that you're, uh, you're surviving. All the while you're just surviving, you also have to make sure you're getting enough wood <laughs> to add to the pile. There are also event cards that you draw that have implications on what's going on. The events could be like an accident happens, or you find signs of a wild beast, and those events could have immediate effects. And then it goes on this little track, and if you don't deal with that event, after a few turns, it will actually, like, activate another, you know, like, usually a, a worse consequence of the event. So you've got you've to be thinking about that as well as, you know, your food and everything else. There's a lot to juggle, a lot to balance. So there are, there's so many little things that you need to keep track of and try to make sure are in a good spot. I called it a worker placement game, though, earlier. You have two workers per character, and you have to decide between all the little things that you can do. So do you want to send your character off to explore another part of the island? And they have, like, hexes that you flip over that represent the new area. And those different areas might have different resources. There could be food there. There could be wild animals there. So exploring is good because then you can collect those resources, collect more food, add a wild beast to then be able to hunt. You could also send a character off to hunt. And that's its own little, it's, I guess it's not too much of a mini game, but there's a, you know, like there's hunting mechanics that you, you would go through there. And, you know, if you're not careful with hunting, then you could injure yourself 
uh, you could be building something and you could be building your shelter so that the, the effects of weather won't be as great on you. Uh, you can build inventions to make your life easier, um, like, you know, building an axe or hatchet to be able to harvest more wood, you know, things like that. Um, shovel for digging. Yeah, there's all kinds of different inventions that you can you can build. So there's all these little little things like what's the most important thing at this time? Where should we put our workers to to resolve these things? There's plenty of rules and plenty of details, but it is fun. It's hard to win, but um, it's an enjoyable decision-making experience for sure. So maybe check that one out. First off, we're going to have Joe from Hindsightless relate how he used a game within a game. Hey, Merck. So I just listened to your latest episode and I was listening to Daniel call in about uh, you guys talking about using like a different game in the middle of a game you're playing. And yeah, I, I think that is a fun idea. I've actually done a thing like that myself back a few years ago, there used to be this podcast called Around Around the Table. They're not around anymore, which is a shame because they were just two dudes. They'd get together. They'd sort of invent a little mini role-playing game on the fly. I mean, at least that's what they said. They were inventing it on the fly. And then they'd play it. And it was really fun. They came up with one called Date Night, which was D8 Night. Uh, and it was, it was like a dating sim all based on D8s. It was awesome. And so in the middle of one of the games I was running, one of the characters was actually going out on a date in the game. And so I was like, here we go. <laughs> Let's try this out. And it was super fun. So yeah, I, it, doing that, throwing a little kink into the mix every now and then, that may be the wrong word <laughs> since I talk about date night throwing a spanner into the mix every now and then and just kind of mixing things up. That's, you know, that could be fun, add some freshness to the game. And yeah, I, I, I don't play a lot of board games, but I really enjoy board games. I especially enjoy cooperative board games, uh, but I do love putting puzzles in my RPG games and my players hate them. They love them, but they hate them. <laughs> they, I tell myself that they love them. But every time there's a new puzzle, they're like, oh, no, here we go. But I think they're fun, so there you go. <laughs> anyway, man, take it easy. Keep it up, and I'll talk to you soon. Peace out. Thanks, Joe, for that call. That's really cool that you got to use a game within a game. I think that's, you know, to what uh, Daniel was calling about. Um, yeah, just having that breadth of games where if something comes up, you can say, oh, yeah, that reminds me. And you have a, a subsystem or, you know, something along those lines that you can pull from to make it work. So, yeah, I think that's really cool. I'm glad that worked out. Um, <laughs> I just did a quick search for Around the Table podcast, and that seems to be a popular term for uh, ministries. So I couldn't find like old episodes really quick. Uh, maybe I'll keep digging around, but around the table <laughs> has a lot to do with Jesus, apparently. Uh, yeah, also uh, Spanner. Uh, that's an interesting West Coast thing, I think. Maybe that's more of a Seattle thing. I think we'd probably just call it a monkey wrench or something over here. But I'm curious. You... Uh, email me everyone or you know get on audio dungeon discord and message me you don't have to call in 
But I'm curious how many people use Spanner and how many people use Wrench or something along those lines. Um, so just a fun little thing there. Joe, I too love cooperative games. I would much rather play a co-op game rather than, uh, you know, a cutthroat game. We used to play a lot of Munchkin, the card game, and <laughs> uh, that would start fights among certain people. And it was like, this was like, we can't even get through a game without somebody rage quitting. Let's let's find some cooperative games. So that sent me down that path. I'll probably make a podcast about that at some point. But yeah, love cooperative games. And puzzles too. Yeah, I can understand that love-hate relationship there. Um, and I'm not saying that you have bad puzzles or anything, and that's why your players hate it. But I... I know. I mean, we're going through this advent calendar every day, and there's these little puzzles. And when when you solve them, and you solve them in a good amount of time, it is so satisfying. But then there's those ones where you get a red herring, or like the clues are just too obscure, or they, you know, like the red herring, they send you down the wrong direction, and then you finally get the answer, and it's like, oh, well... We would have got that, but th these other things, like the the puzzle idea, was wrong, or it, there was just it, yeah, there was some fault of the puzzle, not the the people rationalizing, and that's hard to know. Like, what are people gonna pick up on? What are they gonna, you know, go off into left field on? So I can understand that love hate relationship for sure. But yeah, thanks for your input on all these things. That's really cool. Next up is Riley from the Diegetic Advancement Podcast, and he's going to be talking about puzzles as well and non-dice mechanics. Hey, Merck. Riley here. Uh, just give me a call on your latest show. Thanks for putting my call in and responding. Um, but you mentioned uh, puzzles and alternate resolution mechanics using other things other than just dice. So I wanted to give uh, my thoughts on that. Firstly, puzzles. Um, yeah, use sparingly. I think they're okay. Uh, you can run into a, a few problems with puzzles. Uh, one, something that you thought was going to be easy ends up being hard uh, or impossible. So I think as long as you're not gating um regression through uh, of uh of where you want the session to go or where the characters want their session to go they can be used like secret doors where you know there's a nice surprise behind the puzzle but uh you don't really don't want to shut down uh, the whole session if they can if they can't solve the puzzle um you can take some some people out of the game as well it's something that you're player is engaging with rather than the character is engaging with although i think there are things that we call puzzles in in games um things like a 30 foot chasm how do you get across right? i mean I think, I think that's a good rpg puzzle um not that the other ones are, are bad yes solid advice um some of this is gonna you know overlap with what i was just saying in the joe segment but yeah, use them sparingly and don't gate off important sections behind a puzzle 
that's happened. I think I've done it and I've experienced it firsthand where you've got a puzzle and the clues aren't as good as you think they are or there's a red herring in there or somebody just picks up on something and goes crazy with it. And how are you going to solve this puzzle now if the players can't make sense of it? You either have to give hints or just do like a simple die roll and it, it kind of takes away from the whole point of the puzzle if you're just giving them information or just having them solve it with a die roll. So yeah, definitely don't gate things off. Um, and breaking immersion, yeah, I can understand that too. Um, you know, you're, you're playing a role-playing game and then a puzzle creeps up on you and you're like, oh, now we have to completely shift mindsets or frame sets and work on this puzzle. Yeah, it also reminds me of the last two Zelda games, Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom. They're great open world games. You can just wander around and explore and find all kinds of neat little things. But there's certain sections, like the shrines uh, in both, you're, you're, you know, you're going somewhere and you're like, those are intentional puzzles. And like when you go into one of those, you know, that's what you're getting. The creators of those shrines made them as puzzles as well. So it fits very well. But then there's other sections like in Breath of the Wild where you're trying to get to the top of a tower in each of the towers. They intentionally create these puzzles to make it more engaging. But given some of the craziness uh, of the circumstances, it, it just doesn't... You just have to suspend your disbelief and go with it and enjoy the puzzle for what it is. But it does kind of break you out of the world of Hyrule and uh, gets you in a completely different mindset. So yeah, same same with RPGs. But uh, yeah, as you're saying, like the chasm thing, that's great. But I mean, how, how many of those can you do before it's the same again? You know, how many chasms can you jump or, you know, how many natural things can you set up in such a way that it doesn't feel necessarily like a puzzle? Hopefully a lot, but if you're, you know, if you're doing it sparingly, uh, when it comes around again, it, it probably will feel fresh. And, you know, I guess if you vary it up enough, you know, same kind of idea with different parameters and different challenges, then I'm sure that would be engaging. And uh, two, the alternate mechanics. I mean, I think there's a reason why dice have won out as the, the primary mechanic. Um, one, I think they're super simple, uh, quick and easy to use, but they're flexible. You can add additional dice or have series of, of dice rolls to resolve stuff. So they're also, um, they can be quite complicated. You can consult tables um, in a, in conjunction with them. So they're, they're super simple at its core, but you can, they're flexible enough that you can add all this extra complexity. Now is there room for more complex or different uh, mechanics that you can add in again very similar to puzzles i think used sparingly fantastic uh, uh i'm trying to think of good examples of this and this isn't a good one but uh i think there are going to be some moments in in games that you want to up the tension and a simple dice roll 
you know, they can have that tension. Is it going to succeed or is it going to fail? But using something else to really drive that narrative, um, I'm thinking of a game like Dread, where the mechanic is you're, you're pulling um, blocks from a Jenga block. That, you know, that <laughs> elicits a sense of dread, which, you know, really enhances the game. So I think in, in intense moments, things like chases, um, you can really use some different mechanics to sell the audio gets cut off as Riley got to the end of the amount of recording you can do in SpeakPipe. But he was basically saying, use different mechanics to sell the story. I also hear you on dice winning out over things like cards. I mean, they're also smaller. They're a little bit more portable. As Jason mentioned last time, you don't have to shuffle them. So yeah, there are some advantages for sure. But I, th I think variety is the spice of life, so adding in those other elements every once in a while it would be good. Once again, use sparingly, as you said. So, yeah, I keep hearing about Dread and the Jenga thing as like a, I don't, I don't want to call it like kitschy or whatever, but as a, a novel way of having a mechanic that induces Dread. And I think that's neat. And that's that's the whole point of like incorporating another game, as far as I'm concerned, is you're trying to evoke a certain feeling. Therefore, play something that helps evoke that feeling. Or, you know, your characters would be feeling these things or going through these type of experiences. Simply rolling a die isn't going to give you that same level of connection. So pull out the mini game, pull out the board game, pull out the card game, whatever, that will help sell that, as you said earlier, for sure. Okay, I think that is it for now. Thank you for listening. Hopefully, uh, hopefully it's been enjoyable and something to think about. Until next time, take care.